You're listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. Well, we're going to look at uh, 2 Timothy 3.16. We're talking about the Bible all this month. Today we're going to talk about why the Bible is the Word of God. And uh, this, this passage says something about the Bible being God-breathed. Let's look at it. It's 2 Timothy 3.16. And it says this. It says, All Scripture. Everybody say, All Scripture. All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the man of God, man or woman of God, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And that passage starts out and says, All Scripture is God-breathed. We're going to talk about that term today and talk about why the Bible is the Word of God. But let's, let's pray. Let's, let's ask God to open our hearts. Jesus, we come to you this morning in the Mill Sunday School. God, we praise you. God, we praise you for, for life. We praise you for your Word that you've given to us. God, we do ask you to open up our hearts, and we ask you to open up our minds so that we might understand why the Bible is truth, why the Bible is the Word of God, why the Bible is the best thing we have for understanding you on this earth. So, Jesus, we love you and we praise you. And everybody screamed. Ah, man! <laughs> I uh, used to go to this coffee shop way back in the day. Uh, it, was, it was called Grounds for Coffee. Kind of a cool, unique name for coffee shop. And I used to ha- it was kind of like a really cool study hall. Um, we like study hall and the fact that we'd bring our Bibles, other friends from church. We'd hang out in this coffee shop and we'd chat. We'd like read and we'd highlight our Bibles and we'd underline things or write in the notes and we'd chit-chat and talk and stuff like that. And every once in a while we'd start talking maybe a little loud and someone from another table would say, hey, what are you guys talking about? We'd tell them, oh, we're Christians. We're, we go to this church and we're studying the Bible. Like, oh, sweet. And we get into conversations about Christianity and the Bible and truth. And uh, I remember one time I, I was just coming in to the coffee shop, just coming into Grounds for Coffee, this small little coffee shop, kind of dimly lit, looking for my friends. And I saw my friend Jimmy, who was talking to a guy named Dan. And Jimmy is a guy that I really look up to when it comes to philosophy and Christian thinking. And he was, they were both kind of, you could tell they were arguing, but they both had a smile on their face. They were like politely, kind of passionately arguing. And they were going back and forth. And I, I realized afterwards what they were talking Jimmy said, what we were talking about was Dan, as an atheist, was saying that there is no moral law. There's no moral truth. Everyone gets, just gets to decide what's right and wrong on the spot. And specifically, this is a little awkward, are you ready? Specifically, they were talking about pornography. And Jimmy was saying, oh, it's wrong. And Dan was saying, no, there's nothing wrong with it. There is no God. It's just, you know, if it, if it feels good, do it, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And so they were talking about pornography. And Jimmy was, was saying, well, what if I just brought a magazine in here and let you read it? And you, you were just reading it right here. And he, and he said, well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be reading it right here. And Jimmy was like, why won't you read it right here? Because you would feel shame. And you feel shame because you know it's wrong. And then Jimmy, Jimmy had his keys in his pocket. He's about to leave. And he's like, and then he saw me coming in. He said, well, Dan, I got to go. This is Joe. He's a Christian. Joe, this is Dan. He's an atheist. Why don't you guys finish this conversation? <laughs> and I was like, uh, hey, hi, Dan. I'm Joe. And... Uh, <laughs> It was really awkward, but we did get to talk about the Bible. Him being an atheist, me being a Christian, he asked me, what do you believe? And I said, I believe in the Bible. And he said, why? And I was like, I kind of threw out my Christianese at that time. That It was quite a while ago. I was just kind of new to Christianity. And I threw out the, like, oh, Scripture's God-breathed. And I actually showed him this passage. And I was like, well, look at this passage here. In second, it's 2 Timothy 3.16. It says, all Scripture's God-breathed. And I was like, yeah, what do you think about that? And he's like, well, I don't really believe in the Bible. And then he was like, well, what, what, why, really, why do you believe in the Bible? 
And I said, well, let me show you another verse. And then you could turn to this verse real quick if you want. It's 2 Peter 3.16, keeping with our themes of 3.16s today. Second uh, Peter 3.16, it's just a few pages after the Second Timothy. And this is kind of a unique passage. It, it says, so I'm showing this passage to Dan, the atheist, in this coffee shop called Grounds for Coffee. It says, so I point to this passage and it says, uh, and it's, it's Peter talking about Paul. It says that, that Paul writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant, unstable people distort as they do other scripture. So Peter is referring to Paul's works as scripture. So I'm like, look, Peter refers to Paul as scripture. And then Paul, if you want to turn to this one, go back to 1 Timothy 5.18. 1 Timothy 5.18, I showed this passage to Dan, the atheist, and I said, look, this passage says, uh, let's see, 1 Timothy 5.18, is that what I said? 5.18, says, for scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out grain. My friend, my Dan, this atheist is like, what does that mean? Who cares? <laughs> and, I, and I'm saying, well, this is Paul writing, and Paul is saying that the Gospels are scripture, because, because that passage, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading its grain is part of the gospel. So here I am in this coffee shop showing Dan all these passages as to why I believe the Bible is true. And he's like, dude, I don't believe in the Bible. And I'm here I am going into the Bible saying, look, it's God breathed. Look, this scripture refers to this scripture. It says it's scripture. And he's like, dude, I don't believe in the Bible. And I finally realized what he was saying. He's like saying, stop opening up the Bible and tell me, telling me that the Bible says it's good because I don't believe in the Bible. And basically he was asking me, is there something external that we have that says that the Bible is true? That's what he was asking me. At the time, I just kind of rambled on. I forget what I said, but it was kind of just rambling. But this morning, the main point of this morning is that you'll be able to leave here and not only be able to tell people why the Bible is true, but also understand in your own heart, in your own life, in your own head, in your own knowledge, why the Bible is the Word of God from external sources. Does that sound like fun today? Yes! Okay, good. Um, Well, with that said, we're going to get into that today. I want to welcome you to the Mill Sunday School. This is the first time we're in this building, which is uh, a lot bigger than our other room. So if you need to, like, get up, you won't have to step on people's faces and try to get out. And I think there's, like, a, like a whole tub of eggs still and bacon back there. So if you want to get up and get some more coffee and whatever, I'm trained as a speaker to not be... I, I mean, I, if nobody was in here, i just keep right on going. Nothing would phase me. <laughs> So if you need to get up and go, that's, that's perfectly okay. Get, get some more coffee. We've got tons of stuff going on back there. Um, if you're new, on your tables uh, is a Mill first-timer card. It says Sunday School on it. If you want to fill that out and then give it to that nice guy at the back of the room right there, he will give you a CD in exchange for that little piece of paper. And uh, we just want to welcome you here and say that Sunday School is all about kind of laying a foundation of what we believe in, in such a such a way that... You know, a lot of Christians never get a class, never get a curriculum, never get a full, broad spectrum of what it means, the basic doctrines of Christianity. And at the Mill Sunday School, our, what we really want to do in here is take you either, like, if you're on the edge of the pool, to jump in the pool, of the, the shallow end, and then by the end of Sunday School, if this is really set out as like a full-year curriculum, if you look at, like, what we're doing, either on the website or on those little things that say Sunday School. It's a full curriculum of everything that we think is important to believe as Christians. And it won't just be an inch deep, but it'll be a mile wide and a mile deep. It'll be the deep end of the pool. Is the deep end of the pool fun? Yes. 
It is. And so that's where we want to be as Christians. And so, uh, and by the way, it is, we are, uh, I'm officially finalizing a syllabus for the Mill Sunday School. Listen to this. It's pretty crazy to think that you could come to the Mill Sunday School and get college credit just for coming to the Mill Sunday School. We're, we're working on a partnership with King's College and Seminary, and uh, I, have, uh, I have my master's degree in divinity. I'm working on my doctorate, so I'm adequate to teach uh, at a college level. I've taught other college classes. And so the Mills Sunday School is a college class. If you come the whole year um, of Sunday schools, and basically I'll tell you two things. If you're interested in that, first off, start taking attendance. You'll get the syllabus soon. And if you're really interested, there's a sign-up sheet in the back at that back table that, that you could fill your name and email on, and I'll send you some more information so that if you're interested in that, you can get college credit for coming to Sunday school. Now, if you're, mass, if you're working on uh, your bachelor's degree in, like, radiology, I don't know that Mill Sunday School is going to help you <laughs> graduate anything. I don't know. It might help you as, a, like, an elective or something, a transfer. I don't know how that, how that exactly works. But I'll send you email. So if you're interested, sign up back there. But uh, are you ready to get started today? All right. In your, uh, in your notes, we call them skillets. One of the first things it says on there is something about what are the blank, what, what are the reasons, that's the, that's the fill in the blank right there, what are the reasons people don't believe in the Bible? And we're going get, to get talking about that, but people don't believe, if, if someone doesn't believe the Bible is true, they, they, there may be lots of reasons as to why, that, as to why they don't think the Bible is true. There may be a misunderstanding to what truth is. You know, truth is absolute. Something is true or it's false. If, if two things contradict each other, one of them's true, one of them's false. One of them it was the way it was, and one of them is, is shaded or a jaded way of looking at the truth. Thomas Aquinas said it this way, that truth is when the knowing and the actual match. And so the Bible, it's, it's interesting to think about that God is actual, God is truth. And this Bible helps us in knowing God, helps us in knowing truth. And so we could say that the ideas in the scripture in this book are true because it refers to a real truth, that God is real. And uh, I want to tell you one more story. That I was in uh, a freshman English class way back in the day. Do you want to tell, let me tell you how old I am? I just turned 30 like five days ago. So I'm like really old. So like, I know, thank you, thank you. Uh, so like me, a freshman English was like a million years ago or something like that. And so uh, I was in this freshman English class at the University of New Mexico. And I'm sitting there, and the, the students were pretty cool. They're all nice. The teacher's really cool, nice. Um, and he'd always have these little writing exercises for us. He'd be like, okay, here's a little story. Now write as if you were in this story. And like, oh, sweet. I get to write. And so like a 10-minute writing exercise. And then, and then discuss it. And usually the, the topics were somewhat philosophical, somewhat like interesting, spiritual even. And all the people in my class were like raging New Age uh, New Mexico is kind of known for aliens and UFOs, like Roswell's out there, Area 51's out there. And so they were all, I mean, just kind of very New Agey aliens. Yeah, man, aliens, they're always, like, kidnapping my little bro. <laughs> but there was one guy in the class, one guy was, like, really, uh, always had something to say. He always had really interesting things to say. And he was a roadie for the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And he also, everyone, and then he got into, after being a roadie for a little while, he could play bass really well. So the bass player for uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers, name is Flea. He used it when Flea couldn't play the bass, this guy would play the bass, you know. You know, so he, he was just a fascinating character um, and very into, like, Native American beliefs, although he was, like, whiter than me. And um, it's all this cool stuff, like, 
UFOs, I mean, stuff that's kind of cool, but not really. And uh, so the class discussion was about, okay, what if aliens dropped off a book of knowledge? And everybody's like, yeah, yeah, man, aliens. <laughs> aliens dropped off this book that explained the universe, explained how we got here, explained our purpose, explained the afterlife, explained everything. Aliens dropped it off. What would you do? And the teacher was like, okay, writing exercise. And everybody's like, oh, yeah, that's good, man, aliens. And we're writing along. And uh, everyone started sharing ideas. Like, everyone was pretty much anonymous that said, well, if there really was this book of truth of the universe, I would spend all my time reading it. I would drop out of school, and I would just study this alien book. Man, it's the truth. You know, aliens are so cool. And uh, everybody would, everybody was just unanimous. Yeah, we'd, go, we'd drop everything and just study this book. And I was like, yeah, that's what I would do, too, if I believed in aliens, blah, 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 whatever. And then right after class, I had this thought. I was like, you know how it always, like, whenever you're, like, in a conversation, you can never really think of, like, a really good thing to say until, like, two seconds after you leave the conversation? You're like, oh, I should have said this. Um, or, like, if someone's, like, <laughs> if you're, <laughs> if you're, like, going back and forth, like, no, you know, man, you're like this. And then, like, the only thing you could say in the moment is, like, your mom. <laughs> And then as soon as you leave the conversation, you're like, oh, I should have said this. That would have been a perfect comeback. But I, I left the class, and I thought, what a perfect thing to say. I could have said that the Bible is kind of our book of truth, that aliens didn't drop it off to Area 51, but God himself breathed life into it through human beings as they wrote, and our creator, the creator of the universe, gave us this book. And I, could, I should have said... You know, if there was a book like this that aliens dropped off, it would be the most translated book in the world. It'd be the most read book in the world. Everyone would would know about it and read it. And and the only thing, the only boundary would be faith. Did aliens really drop this book off or not? And I just thought, that's how we as Christians see this book. Not that aliens dropped it off, but that God himself breathed life into it through the writers of the Bible. That, that we have a lot at stake when it comes to the Bible. In some ways, someone could jokingly say that we're we're gambling, are waging our eternal life on the fact that this book is true. And so let's get to that question that's in your skillet, in your notes. It says, what are the reasons people don't believe in the Bible? Why, what are some reasons if you were to talk to someone that didn't believe in the Bible and they were like, yeah, I don't believe in the Bible. And you say, why not? They'd probably have some reasons. They'd probably say, well, I don't believe in it because of this, this, or this. And so I want you to think for yourself, um, how would someone answer that question if they didn't believe in the Bible? Or maybe if you're on the edge, maybe you have some, some, some questions of your own before you're going to fully dive into Christianity. You have some questions of your own and says, really, what, why is the Bible true? Why, if someone doesn't believe in it, what are answers, what are reasons they have as to why they think it isn't true? Would you take a second and, and chit-chat amongst your little buddies around you and, and maybe come up with a little list of like three to four. You could do it by yourself too if you want. But come up with a list of like three or four reasons as to what people might say as to why the Bible, if they believe it's not true. What are some reasons people have? Do you understand? Okay, ready, get set, go.
give you like another uh, another 60 seconds to uh, to compile your list of what are some reasons people don't believe in the Bible. Um, you're probably still working on your list a little bit, but uh, I was wondering if someone, some people, might want to stand up. And uh, we, we had mics, but there's a mic problem, technical difficulties. So you have to stand up, and you pretty much have to scream. Um, <laughs> if you're willing to do that, to, to represent your table, stand up and say, here's one of the reasons that we thought people uh, don't believe in the Bible. Anybody? Yes, thank you. Because it was written by humans, and because humans are fallible, so how do you know it's true? That's a good reason that people have when they're not of faith, and they come to the Bible and say, oh, it's just written by humans. Maybe it's just made up. How do we know that it's not true? That's that's a really good answer. That's going to be the one of the ones we talk about. What else? Mr. Bill. Oh, that's a good one. Did you hear most of what he said? The last one he said was probably one of the most important. People say, oh, it doesn't apply till today. It's this ancient myth book that all it talks about is who begot who and he begot he and whatever. It, it doesn't apply to today. Have you heard that before? Maybe friends or whoever. That's a good one. We're going to talk about that one too. What else? Anybody else? Ramil. There's too many translations. What's, uh, why, why, which one is correct? That's a good. We'll talk about that not today, but later this month. We'll talk about translations and internal consistencies. What else? Anybody? Yes, sir. Inconsistencies. Good. Yeah, so someone might come to you and say, there's errors or there's inconsistencies in it. Why do you believe in the Bible? Oh, I don't believe in it because it has errors. It's full of errors, full of inconsistencies. It's good. Thank you. Um, these, I see, I see two more. All right, Danny and then Ryan. Danny. <laughs> talking donkeys, talking snakes, talking people. <laughs> yeah, so is, is someone could say, "Oh, it's just myth. Miracles don't happen." Maybe, maybe this person say, "I've never seen a miracle. Miracles don't happen. Uh, how could they happen in the Bible?" Yeah, that's good. Ryan, last one. That's good. Very good. He said, He said, uh, there's other writings out there. The Quran, the Bhagavad Gita, the writings of Buddha, blah, blah, blah. There's all these different books of religions out there. What makes the Bible so special? Can't we just believe in all of them and take the best of to form this sweet religion? I saw a bumper sticker. Uh, you've probably seen it too. It says, God is too big to fit in one religion. Have you seen that? We're going to talk about that and how that statement is wrong a little bit today and a whole bunch uh, throughout this month. But look at your, uh, look at your notes. The first one, that I have three three really big ones that a lot of these kind of fit into or fall into. The first one says uh, it is just a blank ancient book. And I, I want you to put it is just a made up ancient book. 
And this is, this is what some people could say. Pe- reasons people don't believe in the Bible, they might say that the Bible is just a made-up and ancient book. That someone made it up, and it's ancient, and it's myth, and it's just made up. When I was in fifth grade, uh, I rode the bus home with, uh, with one of my good friends, Jeremy. And we, our bus ride, we lived out in the country, and our bus ride was like an hour long. And we'd get into mischievousness. And uh, I want to tell you a little This is messed up, by the way. This is going to be messed up. But uh, there was this kid, John, uh, who liked this girl, Mandy. And we decided, let's make up a letter as if it was from Mandy. <laughs> this is messed up. Let's give it to John. And it said something like, Dear John, I like you. Do you like me? Circle. Yes. No. Or maybe. <laughs> From Mandy. <laughs> it's messed up. We folded it up, gave it to John. We're like, Mandy said to give this to you. What's it, what's it say, bro? <laughs> and he opened it up and was like, Oh, wow, oh, wow. And he folded it back up and put it in his pocket. And still to this day, I have no idea whether he circled one and gave it back. I have no idea what happened to that note. All I know is I wasn't saved back then, and I would I would never do that again. And it was a messed up thing to do. But uh, me and this friend Jeremy uh, also had uh, we had we had sleepover parties sometimes. And I remember a sleepover party where we started talking about the Bible as little fifth graders, and we said maybe the Bible is just totally made up, and someone's having a really good laugh somewhere, um, thinking that, oh, they wrote this book, they made up this, this Bible, and they handed it off and said, look at, look at God gave me, and they're like, check this out, and they're just somewhere having a really good laugh, like me and him were, <laughs> when we gave that note to John, and there's a lot wrong with the theory that just says, oh, the Bible's just made up, let me give you, it's kind of a fifth grade kind of thinking about why, where the Bible comes from, that it could just be made up, and the Bible's, I mean, it's, it's huge, first of all. And it's written by lots of authors. It's not just like one person could sit down and write all of this. Because there's, there's about 40 plus authors that I'll talk about in a minute. But um, you're, taking, you're, taking, you're taking, taking notes. Maybe put down the, the idea that archaeology has never disproven a historical record in the Bible. Archaeology has never disproven a historical record in the Bible. That means if you're reading the Bible and you're like, oh, sweet, Solomon built his temple, you could actually go to the ruins of Solomon's temple and see, I think they're just like a part of half of a wall or just some ruins you can go to. Or if it says Jesus was born in Bethlehem, you could actually go to Bethlehem and you could see some, somebody might say, oh, this is, the, this is the place where Jesus was born. There's probably like two or three locations as to exactly where Jesus was born. But these aren't, it's not just made up that you could actually go to Bethlehem. You could actually go to Jerusalem. It's, it's not just a totally mythological book. It has historical representations that are true, like that statement I said, that no, no archaeological evidence has ever disproven historical finding in the Bible. It is not ancient myth. It doesn't fit the category of ancient myth. I'm holding in my hand a, bo- a paperback book uh, of something I had to read when I was in high school about mytho- mythology, Greek and Roman mythology. And the Greeks and the Roman, the Greeks basically came up with this idea that said the universe created the Titans. And then the Titans had 12 children, and they're the Olympiads. The Zeus, Hermes, Aphrodite, Venus, on and on. There's 12 of them. You could probably list them if you had the time. That all these gods control the things. And so why is it storming outside? Well, Zeus is ticked, and he's throwing lightning bolts down. And so it's, it's human explanations of gods. And gods are made in human images. Humans made those images to explain things. And then it got passed down, and it's 
It's myth. It just, it's just made up to explain things. The Bible doesn't fit that category. The Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. When all this mythology, all these gods are, are, are so popular in the, in the B.C. era, the Bible said God created the heavens and the earth. And, and we're not going to talk about mythological gods doing different things, but we're going to talk about real individuals like Abraham, uh, Jacob, Moses, David, Solomon, Jesus. These are all real historical figures found in the Bible. So that statement that I said just rings true again, that no historical evidence has ever, no archaeological evidence has ever disproven uh, a historical event of the Bible. It, it doesn't fit the mold of mythology. And you might say, okay, well maybe, uh, someone might say, someone that doesn't believe in the Bible might say, okay, so the Bible has historical evidence. So maybe the history part is all correct, but then all the spiritual miracles happening is just kind of hogwash. That someone, uh, maybe the disciples, like according to Jesus, the Jesus story about miracles, walking on water, etc., etc. Someone can say, oh, the disciples just made all that up. It's just made up. They're just having a good laugh in the back of the bus while John's putting this letter in his pocket from the story. And then uh, uh, the problem with that, the problem with the idea that the disciples and the writers of the New Testament, Peter, James, John, etc., etc., just made up stuff and wrote it down, the problem with that is that they all died for the cause of Christ. And let me tell you why that's important. Because if they knew that they were just making it all up. They were just fibbing. They just wrote all this stuff about Jesus walking on water, doing miracles. Why were they willing to die in horrible ways? And we have a historical record of, of Peter being crucified upside down. Uh, other disciples get throwing, uh, getting thrown into the Colosseums with lions and uh, tigers and bears. My. Uh, we have historical records of people getting, the disciples getting dipped into boiling oil. I mean, horrible, horrible ways to die. Don't even think about it. You're still eating your breakfast. Um, horrible ways of death, and yet they would not say that, yeah, we just made all this stuff up. They were willing to die for something that they knew was true. And if they had just made it, made it up, don't you think at least one of them would have said, yeah, you're right, you're right, we just made it up. Just kidding. We did, we, uh, it's all just made up. But no, we, never, we don't see that. We see, we see them willing to die for what they believed and what they wrote down as true. And so someone could say, okay, well, maybe the disciples wrote it down and, okay, someone might say, miracles don't happen, they didn't happen in the Bible, blah, blah, blah. Someone could say, okay, the disciples wrote it down, historically accurate, and then time passed, and people started slowly adding on. People are like, ooh, let's exaggerate this story. Let's say that Jesus healed. Let's say that Jesus walked on water. Let's say that he controlled the storm. Let's say that he did this and this, and let's just add these things into the stories of the Bible. You know what the problem with that is? There's a huge problem with it. And you could, you could read more about it in this book. This book, raise your hand if you've heard of Josh McDowell's The Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Quite a few of you have heard of this book. Um, we have, the, the mill was selling them a long time ago. They're like 30 bucks, but we, we, we're going to lose money on them. But we have like five or six of them back there. If you want to spend 10 bucks and get this book, uh, you can. And it's a, it's a, it's not a book you like sit down at the picnic and read. It's more of a, it's, it's really deep, like reference kind of stuff. And let me show you, it has a whole passage, whole, whole uh, chapter on the manuscripts of the Bible. So let's go back and re- restate the, the, the argument question from a non-believer. They might say, the disciples wrote it down correctly, but then other people came in and toyed with the Bible. They added in all the miracles and stuff like that. Here's, here's the problem with that. The Bible is written uh, 50 to 100 AD, and we have um, the number of manuscript copies we have 
of the New Testament is 5,366. That's a whole bunch. Let me just compare that to, uh, Josh McDowell compares it with the Iliad by Homer, um, all the natural history by Pliny Secundus, whoever that is, sounds made up, just kidding. Um, the history of Rome, uh, Caesar's Gallic Wars, blah, 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 compares it, to, for instance, to Plato's writing. You guys know Plato, right? Uh, Plato, the number of copies, manuscript copies that we have for Plato, you know how many we have? Compared to the Bible's 5,366, we have seven of Plato's ancient manuscripts. It's not that many. And here's the big difference. Pay attention to this if you can follow it. That between the time Plato wrote in about 400 BC, between Plato's writing and the time that we have this manuscript, the, the amount of time that passed between the oldest manuscript that we have and Plato's actual writing, the number of years is 1,300 years. So someone could argue about Plato's work, although no one does this because they're just like, yeah, duh, Plato wrote it, Who, duh. Um, someone could argue, though, that, well, maybe, maybe it was written under, maybe Plato wrote like a paragraph, and then people just kept on adding to it and adding to it and adding to it over this 1,300 years. That's possible. No one ever questions that, but it's possible. The New Testament, written around 50 B.C., the first manuscript that we have from the, the time it was written between the first manuscript, you know how many years? 50 years. That's it. There's not a ton of time for for lots of stuff to get added in, all the stories about Jesus doing miracles and things like that. There's just not enough time for the for just, just, just to be made up. No, we're talking about first-hand accounts of the disciples, the Bible writers, seeing Jesus, knowing Jesus, writing what he did and said. And they're credible because they were willing to die for what they knew was true. They didn't make it up, and it didn't get added onto. Does that all make sense? I know that was like kind of heady and getting into like a reference book. But you could handle it. You're most Sunday school, right? Okay, good. Then the next point I want to get to on your notes. Uh, it says, the Bible seems to blank itself. Let me fill that in for you. <laughs> the Bible seems to contradict itself. This is a statement that someone could say if they don't believe in the Bible, they don't believe in God, uh, potentially, they, they might just say, you know what, uh, the Bible is great, it's cool for you, but it's just full of errors. It's just full of contradictions. It's just a big mess. It's, it's just not true because it's so full of errors and contradictions. Um, if someone says that, um, nine times out of ten, maybe even more than nine times out of ten, they, they, you, if you ask them, okay, where, where does it contradict? Could you show me an error or a contradiction? They, they usually can't. And, and it's just probably something that they heard a long time ago. Oh, the Bible's full of errors. I heard that somewhere. I'm just going to repeat that and know that because that's just what I've heard. And I'm not going to believe in it because I've heard that it's full of errors and contradictions. And if they do find something, usually there's something rant. If someone is, is uh, like they really believe that, maybe they do have something to show you. And they'll be like, look, this passage says this. And then uh, maybe this passage says this. And you know what? Usually it's like the most random thing. And you're like, what? That doesn't even make sense. You don't believe in the Bible because What? And it's usually something totally ridiculous. In fact, another reason to get this book is that in it, it has this whole chapter on um, conundrums or hard passages of the Bible that seem to contradict itself, that seem like, oh, what's this about? It says this or this? Let me show you one that uh, someone might have. This one's, and, and usually almost all the answers can come in, you just say the word, bro, context. And then you show them the context of this passage. Let me show you. Uh, Mark, the book of Mark in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Mark, chapter 4, verse 31, 431, the book of Mark. It's, it's pretty random, and you might read it and be like, what's the problem here? 
Um, <laughs> but this could potentially be a, a, a nail that someone nails into the wall of their own belief and says, I don't believe in the Bible because of this nail, and I'm going to hold all, all that I think about the Bible on this one little nail. And it says this, and you're, you're, you, might, you might not catch it at first. And this is Jesus talking about a mustard seed. And he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like, or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed that you plant in the ground. Yet when it's planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all plants with big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. Does anyone see a problem with that? Any botanist? That's a person that studies plants. <laughs> just kidding. I, I, I'll just... Uh, I used to study biology when I was in college. It's kind of weird. I studied, like, plants and animals. And, and one of the classes I had, like, one of the teachers, this raging atheist, showed me this passage. like, this is why I don't believe in the Bible. Because Jesus said that the mustard seed is the smallest of seeds you plant in the ground. And I was like, what? So? And he's like, it's not the smallest seed. And I was like, what? And he's like, there's orchid seeds uh, in South America that are microscopic. And they are the smallest seed. I'm like, dude, you, you're, you don't believe in the Bible because Jesus said the smallest seed is the mustard seed. Well, let me tell you, the word context is pretty important here. Jesus, I just imagine Jesus talking to like a bunch of uh, Middle Eastern ancient uh, people. And if you asked any one of them, hey, bro, what's the smallest seed? They'd be like, duh, you don't know? The mustard seed, hello. Um, and so Jesus is, t- is telling a, a, a parable about faith. And he says, the mustard seed is the smallest of all seeds. And everybody's like, yep, okay. And Jesus said, even though it's the smallest of all seeds, it becomes this huge tree, just like faith. It's, faith can be tiny, and yet when it's huge and it grows, it's huge, and it grows. <laughs> and so my body teacher was like, if Jesus really was God, and he really knew everything, wouldn't he in his parable would have said, now a thousand years from now, a microscope is going to be invented. And this microscope is going to show you seeds of an orchid that grows on a far distant new world that you don't know about yet in South America. And this is the smallest seed. And when it's planted on the ground, it becomes this little bush with sweet flowers on it. The kingdom of God is like the... No. Context. Context. Jesus is talking to ancient people. And, and he's, he's, telling an, he's telling a parable about faith. He's not doing a botany lesson. And so, and so Jesus just says, smallest of all seeds, mustard seed. When it's planted, it becomes the biggest. That's a spiritual lesson. That's what Jesus said here. And so if, if someone comes to you with an inconsistency like that or an error like that, there's usually, a, all you have to do is context, bro, and then just show them, you know, like it was written in an ancient time. We didn't have microscopes back then. But another bigger one that a lot of people had, I've been asking this question of random people these last couple of weeks, um, especially if they don't believe in the Bible, I might say, well, why don't you believe in the Bible? And sometimes their answer is along the lines of contradictions in the form of New Testament, Old Testament. They'll say, well, the Old Testament, God is mean and mad. In the New Testament, uh, God is like a, a golden Buddha with a rainbow. And he's so nice and happy all the time. Uh, and they'll say, isn't that a huge contradiction uh, between the Old and New Testament? And I'll, I'll say, no, it's, it's the exact same God. But the context of the Bible is that the Old Testament was a different covenant, a different promise than the New Testament. In the Old Testament, people uh, were atoned by their sins by their faith in animals, animals that were killed at the temple and their faith in God that God would redeem them of their sins because of a, of a dead animal. In the New Testament, the, the plan totally changed and Jesus Christ came down. God himself came down and redeemed humanity so that we could be more close with God through Jesus Christ and he gave us the Holy Spirit. And so there's, there's a different covenant. But in the Old Testament, this older covenant, it does say many times that a Messiah is coming. 
that a Messiah is coming, a new way is coming, a new covenant is coming. And so there's, there's context in the Old Testament that the New Testament would change things. But if you really read the Old Testament, you'll find lots of passages about God being slow to, to anger, abounding in mercy. You'll find lots of goodness of God. And then if you read the New Testament, or carefully actually read it, you won't just think God is a golden Buddha with rainbows and smiling faces and children and care bearers. You will see uh, Jesus, you'll see Jesus arguing with Pharisees. You blind guides. I don't know if he had a smile on his face when he said that. Uh, I, 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 you could read the passage about Jesus going into a temple. And I just imagine like Jesus was a carpenter, like a construction worker. Probably a pretty big guy, burly guy. If you, if you know construction workers, are usually dirty and big. They're cool. Um, and I imagine like a big kind of burly guy going into a temple and saying, everyone just calm down. Stop, stop uh, selling. Stop taking advantage of people. No, he like, I wish I could throw this table. He like came in and threw the table. And he made, it says he made a whip out of cords. And you just compare the Old Testament God with, there's, there's true judgment in the New and the Old Testament. There's true judgment that happens. And there's true grace and mercy that happens both in the Old Testament and both in the New Testament. It's the same God, but a different covenant in the Old and New Testament. So it does not contradict itself. I want to give you one thing to kind of hold on, to grasp onto, as if someone says, well, the Bible's just full of contradictions. I want, to, I want to show you that in the Bible, do you know how many books there are in the Bible? Anybody? Wow, so many people know that. 66 books of the Bible, Old and New Testament, 66. We can, by name, name 40 authors. So we at least know that there's 40 authors. There's actually quite a few more because a lot of the, the Psalms, we don't know who wrote them. A lot, a lot of the one-liner Proverbs, we have no idea who wrote them. Uh, we think Solomon may have c- combined them. But we have, we have lots of authors. We have at least 40-plus authors of the Bible. And here's a statement that, uh, that I want to read for you. And it's, it's fascinating. Pay attention. If you're, if you're like eating your breakfast or thinking about somebody else, stop thinking about that. Listen to this. It, it'll... it'll It'll give you faith in the Bible. It says this, Imagine questioning 40 people from every socioeconomic background ranging from extreme poverty to extreme wealth. When you have like really poor people, then you have like King David, who's a king, and he wrote some of the Psalms. Uh, Nearly every walk of life, from kings, paupers, statesmen, fishermen, poets, physicians, on three separate continents, Asia, Africa, and Europe. So you have all these people, 40 people from like everywhere, Three different languages, Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic, taking several forms, poetry, it's history, it's criminal law, it's ethics, it's parables, it's biography, it's prophecy, it's personal correspondence, and it's spread over about 2,000 years of history. Imagine just taking 40 random people from 40 periods of time on earth, and they're all different walks of life, and you say, write something. You could write in any form you want, write something about God, write something spiritual. Okay, so these 40 people, write it down. You know what kind of differences you would have amongst those 40 people? It'd be insane. One person would be like, God is a four-headed cow, and he's really nice. And then somebody else might be like, well, the gods live on Mount Olympus, and there's Zeus, and, you know, there's other gods. Somebody might say that. But you know what's amazing about the Bible? The Bible, even though these 40 authors wrote, 40-plus authors wrote these 66 books, over all this time, there's not a single contradiction in its main truth form. This, this, this book delivers truth to us. And there's not one passage that contradicts another passage when it comes to the major theme, who God is, how salvation works. Uh, the major themes of the Bible. Someone might point out like a tiny little mustard seed thing and be like, dude, look, there's mustard seed. Jesus said, ah, ah. And you're like, dude, 
That's such a small thing. The book of the Bible is about God and about God's redemption for his people. And 40 people wrote this over thousands of years and there's not one major contradiction. It follows. It's true. It's the word of God. Amen. Yeah, it's, it's something that we can hold on to. I like, I like that idea, thinking about the authors and where the Bible came from because it really helps me in having faith in the Bible. The last thing I want to get to on your notes, it says, and this is probably the biggest one, on your notes, it says the Bible is a blank book. And the biggest thing I think that people today in our culture in the United States have against the Bible is, is if, you're, if you go t- talk to them and say, do you believe in the Bible? Um, I, rarely, I think, will someone say, no, it's a horrible book. It's lies. It's horrible. It's, I wouldn't believe a word in it. But usually, some people, most people would probably say something like this. It's a nice book. That's the fill-in word there. It's it's a nice book. Why don't you believe in the Bible? It's a nice book. And I want to explain why that's so important, that people coming to that. This is kind of one of the ones that, that Ryan said, that, that the Koran is a nice book. The Book of Mormon, it's a nice book. The Bhagavad Gita, it's a nice book. The writings of da- Dalai Lama, they're all nice books, someone might say. Someone might say, oh, they're all moral compasses. But it's, the Bible is not just a nice book. The Bible says that the only way to God is through Jesus Christ and through the redemption of sins, through Jesus Jesus says, uh, and it's recorded in John, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If that statement and lots of other statements are true, then the Bible really is, the Bible's true, and other writings and religions are wrong, or the Bible's totally false. Just throw it out because it contains lies, and it contains a direction and spirituality that's not true. I don't think that you could just consider the Bible to be a nice book, because if it contains lies, does that mean it's nice? Would you call like a rampant liar a nice person? Yeah, maybe if you first meet him and you're like, he's selling you a car. You're like, oh, what a nice guy. He's selling me a car. And then you find out the engine isn't there. He's not a nice guy. He lied to me. He's a mean guy. He, he did me in. He sold me a lemon. Um, and so the Bible can't just be a nice book. It's either true and showing us who we are, where we're going, eternal things, spiritual life, or it contains lies about who God is. It contains lies about Jesus being God. The Bible cannot be just a nice book. And some people might say, um, along the lines of it being a nice book, someone might say, well, I believe in parts of it. You know, like uh, Jesus, you know, telling the the stories and Jesus' parables. They're they're good. They're they're good stories. But someone might say, oh, I just don't believe in the miracles. I just don't believe that Jesus walked on water. I really don't believe that Jesus was the Son of God. But but there's some nice things in it. It's a moral compass, blah, blah, blah. The, the problem with that is, you know, someone that was really popular in history, I'm sure you heard of a guy named Thomas Jefferson, right? If not, just pull out your $2 bill. He's on it. No one has a $2 bill. Um, Thomas Jefferson, uh, it's called the Tef- Jefferson Bible. And uh, what he did is he, he took out, he wrote the, rewrote the New Testament, and he took out miracles. He took out anything referring to Jesus as God. He took out anything supernatural. And he has this book that's, that's kind of just rewritten according to Thomas Jefferson. He says, oh, this is what I think is really true. All this stuff, but all this miraculous stuff, all this stuff about Jesus being God, not true. And do you know that, you know, some, the, the idea is the same. as the, F. Jefferson doing that is about the same as someone saying, oh, I believe that, you know, the Beatitudes are a good teaching, but Jesus didn't really walk on water. I believe that this parable is a, a, a good uh, kind of moral compass for us, but I really don't think that Jesus healed these people or that he was God himself. You know the big problem with that? Do you, do you realize the pride, honestly, the pride 
it takes for someone to say, okay, here's a book, a spiritual book about God, about things not of this earth, about things about the direction of where we're going, who we are, afterlife. And someone, another human being, gets to decide, well, I think this is true, but this isn't true. What gives that person the authority to say, the audacity to say, oh, this is true, but this isn't true? How do you know? What in the world makes you think that you can think through God himself and say that, oh, this part's true, but this part isn't true. You know, the Bible, C.S. Lewis put it this way about Jesus. He said, Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. Raise your hand if you've heard that argument. It's a fascinating argument. It goes something like this. It says, well, Jesus said he was the son of God. So he can't just be a nice guy. He can't just be a good teacher. He was either a liar. He said he was God. And if he wasn't God, if he was just a nice guy, a nice teacher, then he was a liar. He lied that he was God. He was either a lunatic, like some, some guy, you know, on the street saying, oh, I'm Jesus, I'm God. And people followed him. He really wasn't, but he really thought he was. He was a lunatic. He was either a liar, he was a lunatic, or he really was who he said he was. This book, this Bible, is not just a nice book. It's either true or it's false. And ladies and gentlemen, I hope with the rest of this month as well to prove to you, and hopefully today, to, to prove to you that the book of the Bible is true externally. We can prove that it's true. That you know that we have we have uh, four month four Sundays this month. Uh, this one and there's two more that we're going to really go into external sources for why the Bible's true. We're going to talk about why the canon, who who wrote the Bible, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And the last message this month, the month of September, uh, Noel Goodland is going to teach us a lesson about why the Bible is true according to what we feel. And and you may or may not throughout this month you may or may not know all these arguments about why the Bible is true. But maybe at some point in your life, you read it, and you were like, wow, I feel the power of God. I know that this is true, because God, right now, is speaking to me through it. I remember the first time that I experienced that, when I first became a Christian, we were on a one-week trip to, uh, uh, it was like a youth youth retreat, and our youth pastor said, Joe, you should get up early with us and do a Bible study with these few other people that were also there and willing to get up early. And there was six days, and so we studied the book of Ephesians, which just so happens to have uh, six six chapters. And the, the assignment was to, to read, you know, chapter one, and then the next day we'd, we'd talk about it early in the morning. And, and I remember being up on a hill overlooking this, this beautiful valley and just reading, for the first time, reading as if I'm going to study it. That things like this in, in Ephesians 1, 3. Praise to God and the Father, Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms. And I just remember thinking through that for the very first time in my life, saying, God, you're speaking to me right now. And, and going on, with every spiritual blessing in Christ, he chose us. And I'd stop and I'd think about that. Like, wow, that every word is, is, is in here for a reason, that God chose us, and it says he chose us in him before the creation of the world. To be holy and blame. I just, I'm just thinking through every little verse and that God, you are speaking to me in this moment. Have you ever felt that way before? Felt the power of the Bible? Felt God speaking to you? That real truth is on these pages and it's truth about God. As, as I was preparing for this, uh, all this month, I, I like to watch A&E specials, the History Channel. It's a, it's a safe place to say that you also like to do that. Anybody else? <laughs> every. I was watching this A&E special. It was on the Bible. And it was this whole thing. Lots of Christians and non-Christians, historians, professors, academic types, got to talk about the Bible. Who wrote the Bible? Blah, blah, blah. Uh, where we got the Bible. This whole thing. It was like a two-hour special. One in the New Testament, one in the Old Testament. And at the very end, 
this final guy got to say the final thing. And I don't know if he was a Christian or not. He was very academic and scholarly. You could just tell how they talk sometimes. Like, yes, I know everything. I'm a genius. And he was kind of talking like that. So, you know, I knew he was really smart. But he said this. And he said, it's a fascinating. What he said was fascinating. And just like, wow. And I, I just stopped and thought about that. And, and was just thinking about that. And realized that the, like the video had stopped. And it was just like doing the credits. And I was still thinking about the statement that this guy said. Because I think it's so good. He said, you know what? When it really comes down to it, it doesn't matter so much as who wrote the Bible. It doesn't matter so much as who wrote the Bible in comparison with who reads the Bible. And the guy went on to say, who reads the Bible, whoever reads the Bible, their life is changed. And when their life is changed, the people around them begin to change, whether it's their church or just their friends around them change because this Bible is containing truth. And as they change, the culture changes and changes nations. So the question of who wrote the Bible is not as important as who reads the Bible. So I want to encourage you to, to read the Bible. Start off somewhere. The, at the Mill Fall Retreat coming up next month, um, Aaron's going to talk about reading the Bible. He's going to give out a reading list, and we're going to read the Bible. We're going to be a community, a family of people that read the Bible. And, and um, I thought the Mill Sunday School could kind of be like the, yes, we're going to do that, because we're, we're all really cool people in here in the Mill Sunday School. So I want us to get started on reading the Bible, picking books. You could, you could pick any book and read through it and begin to read the entire Bible. It, it's going to take quite a while to read the entire Bible. Most people say, do it in a year, two years, or etc. But I want to be people of the mill, people of the mill Sunday school that read the Bible. Because really when it comes down to it, it doesn't matter who wrote the Bible. It matters who reads the Bible. It matters a whole bunch who wrote it, of course. It gives authenticity to it. But it's true. But it really matters who reads it. Would you bow your head and pray with me this morning as we close? Father, we thank you right now for your, for your word to us. We thank you that scripture is, is somehow God-breathed. And you know, we don't, we don't quite understand how it's God-breathed. We, we accept that, though. We accept it from historical, outside evidences that this book is true, that the words on this page are not just black letters on a white page, but somehow they're more than that. Somehow you breathe through these words, and it's truth being delivered to us. And God, we thank you for that. God, we want to read your word. We want to know you more. And we say, God, thank you for the Bible. Thank you, thank you for making it so easy to pick up a Bible. Thank you for so, so, making it so easy to read it. And different study Bibles and things, making it so easy for us to understand who you are, spiritual truths of who we are. What's the meaning? What's the purpose of life? Where we're going? These eternal truths can be shown to us through your word. And God, we thank you. We love you for it. We praise you, Jesus. And everyone said... Amen.